Um, I, I was so bad of a student that my parents actually said, you know what, we're not going to, we were just talking about it actually out there. Uh, we don't think we should pay for your school. You should pay for it because it would be a waste of money. Um, and that's actually fair. Uh, and so I took some time and just worked for a while after high school. Uh, and then began to realize that the passion in my heart was, was, was actually ministering, was actually God. And if I was going to study anything, it was going to be his word because that was the only thing I was really passionate about studying. So I went away to a, a Bible school in Chicago. And, and the few, first few years were amazing uh, and just began to study and soak up. Uh, and then I hit this moment, uh, some theologians call it the dark night of the soul. And I, I hit this moment where I began to question everything. I, maybe you've been here before, you, especially if you, I think, grew up Christian. You, you land here at some point where you question the reality of God. You question the reality of Jesus. You question whether the Bible is real and got into some of the kind of higher critical thinking uh, and I was at this crossroads where I went to school to study God's word and to to be a pastor really and near the end of my studies I wasn't sure whether I even believed in this God and there's this tension in my soul I can't in full integrity, move forward with this. And I had one major problem. One, I felt like I was denying my family because uh, my dad's a pastor and I didn't feel like I could talk with them because the wrestling of my soul, I, I just felt like it was betraying them. And then I had another problem near the end of our school and I just got married to this beautiful bride who thought she was marrying this awesome, strong man of God. And inside was this storm of chaos and brokenness that I just couldn't share with anyone because I was afraid of what they might think of me and I was afraid of letting them down. So for months I wrestled, for months I, I wrestled with God and questioned everything. And it was so dark and it felt so alone. And finally one uh, winter, gray winter morning, I ended up coming to the crossroads where I said, okay, this is it. I'm done. I'm out. I can't do this anymore. God, you have one last chance. And if you don't show up today, I'm done. And it wasn't like I was trying to threaten God. I was just letting him know where I was at. And I remember walking down to the uh, to the local coffee shop that I'd go to, and I sat there. And I, I, I just remember doing this with my Bible, opening it, saying, okay, God, speak. If, you can, if you're God, you can do that, and you can speak. It went against everything I was taught in, like, Bible school, you know. And I, I don't remember what I read. I just remember that the words began to leap off the page, and it felt like God was speaking right to me. In fact, I didn't feel like I was sure that God was speaking to me in this moment. I had this God encounter that all of a sudden, I, the wrestlings of my soul, I began to go, okay, maybe there, there is a God. And it didn't answer all my questions, but at least he showed up, and I'm in this coffee shop weeping, wondering, and feeling quite awkward, actually. <laughs> with everyone around. And as I was walking back to the campus, 
I, I had this thought, I, and I'd never done this before, but I just had this thought. The, the president of the school was uh, one of those types of guys that he wasn't this stuffy kind of president. He was the guy that you could just talk to, and when you talked to him, you felt like you had his full attention. He was just such, I would just call a generous man in all ways. I mean, kind-hearted, humble uh, he's a guy that wrote lots of books, traveled all around, and spoke, and all these sort of things. And uh, as I was walking back to campus, I just had this inkling, and it was in between when the school was actually meeting, so no one was on campus. Just, I, I'm curious if Dr. Stoll was in his office. I'd never done it before, and so I, I go in, and I felt kind of nervous as I looked around, and I pushed the button to go up to his his office and went up there and I said, excuse me, is, is Dr. Stoll here? And his, his assistant asked, well, do you have an appointment? I said, no, no, I don't. I just was seeing if he was there and Dr. Stoll looks around, who's that? And he said, that's Ryan, come on in. And he, he immediately ushers me in into this moment and I see before him, he has this stack of, it looks like a couple hundred books that he'd been working on signing and writing and sending out to all the major donors for uh, our school that had been supporting. And, and he stops all that he's doing. And he just looks at me, a young college kid, and just says, how are you? And in that moment, I just began to bawl. And for the first time in months, I unloaded the secret of the journey that I'd been on to Dr. Stoll. And he took the next hour, hour and a half, and walked with me. Stopped everything that he did. And just walked with me and talked and shared from his own personal journey because he grew up a pastor's kid as well. And so he had some commonality. I left his office not with all my answers, but I left with something I hadn't experienced in over six months. And it was hope. It was hope. I actually had his book that he was signing. He gave me one as the title of it was The Trouble with Jesus. And man, was that a title that I needed in that moment. And I just devoured it. Here's, here's what's amazing. I find amazing for my own soul is what often seems like distraction or disruption to our day could be the tipping point or turning point for someone else's story. For me, I, I look back on that moment and where it wasn't like I was playing games with God. I just was real honest. God, I, I'm, I'm done. And that moment with Dr. Stoll changed so much of my story. That when he offered his time, even in the midst of the busyness of his day and demands of all that he had, he stopped everything with his attention and said, hey, how are you? And I didn't, here's the funny part is I didn't feel like an interruption. I felt almost like I was expected. And it was the turning point for me. I later went on to go into ministry, to work at a 
church in Georgia and then out a church here in San Jose. And then three months ago, we launched Awakening Church. The ripple effects from that one conversation, that one moment of generous time, is still being felt. And you and I are meeting here together because of one man saying no to the demands and no to the projects and yes to people. Isn't that amazing? That what oftentimes feels like a distraction or disruption to our day because we have our tasks and we have our demands and we have all these things could actually be the turning point where you and I have the ability, literally the ability to reshape someone's future by our presence. God believed it so much that he, he thought it was incredibly inefficient, but he thought it would be incredibly effective in that he just came to be with us. That's what we celebrate in this time, isn't it? Emmanuel, God with us. It is incredibly inefficient, but it was incredibly effective. So why is it? Because I began to wrestle with this because that's why I got into ministry. Is I wanted to do for someone else what Dr. Stoll had done for me. I want to be able to be in someone else's story and maybe reshape their future. But so oftentimes, for me personally, I get caught up with stuff that doesn't really matter so much and realize that I live hurried, busy life. And I neglect the things that matter most in life. Why is it that we do that? Why is it that we can often live busy, hurried and often unfulfilled lives while neglecting the things that we'd say matters most to us. Or we just keep going, keep going, and we feel like there's this pressure on our soul and the demands of work and the demands all around us and, you know, the house, it has to be clean. And some of us live with an invisible gun to our heads and it's just, we have to go, 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 go. And yet in the moment we just had as we stopped, you can begin to breathe and some of the things of the soul begin to rise and you realize, wait a second. The things that matter most were, were missing. And not only do you get to engage in what matters most, you get to shape. You have the privilege and opportunity, you and I, to shape someone else's future. See, I think why we miss this, or at least maybe this is just why I miss it, is there is a, there's a principle in life that I violate so often. There's a principle in life that, that if, if we violate, that will keep us going and pursuing and running and chasing after the elusive carrot. There's this principle in life that if we just keep moving forward and operating in violation of it, we'll never catch up. See, principles are interesting. Principles are a lot like uh, the way we have the laws of gravity. They don't really care whether you believe them or understand them. They just happen, and we experience the effect. And and here's the principle, if you will. Uh, The principle is my pursuit, or your pursuit, of more will inevitably cause you to miss out on what's best. Now, now I need to kind of say this because this works real well for my personality because I'm an achiever. 
and more. Achievers always are thinking about more. What's interesting, because if you're not an achiever, you're searching for someone else's approval, you know what you need to replace, is not necessarily more, but busyness. Because you want other people to appreciate you. Maybe it's your pursuit of activity, your pursuit of what feels like the most urgent, your pursuit of the status quo, your pursuit of stuff, your pursuit of people's approval, your pursuit your pursuit of more. Well, inevitably, it just will happen. It will be a process. It, you will inevitably miss out, and I will miss out on what's best. See, I think a lot of times in life, we sometimes ask the wrong questions, don't we? We, we, we sometimes ask the question, how do I get the most out of life? And because of that question, it, it creates this pursuit, and it creates this cycle where we're going, and we're going, and we're going, and we're going. And maybe a better question to ask is, is how do I get the best out of life? Where you say no to more and say yes to the best. Oh, you go, well, Ingram, is this even biblical? Well, yeah, I, I think it is. I, you remember a story about Mary and Martha. Martha. Martha said yes to more. In fact, Jesus shows up to the house, and you got two ladies and different personalities, and, and one felt like i got to impress and make sure everything's taken care of, and there's always more to be done, always more to be done. There's always, you know, i got to cook, and i got to clean, and i got to make sure the house is perfect, and you know what? And she gets so upset because she's in the process of more when Mary chooses what's best, and Mary's the whole time has been sitting at Jesus' feet just being. See, see, more often causes us to do more, isn't it? Best often invites us to be more, doesn't it? And where Mary says, Martha actually says to Jesus, Hey, would you tell Mary to help me? And Jesus just kind of looks at her and says, you don't understand. Why would I pull Mary away from this? She's chosen what's best. See, this principle, if you and I violate it, it will keep us missing out on the things that matter most and actually being able to really have the presence to make an impact with our lives and be available in those moments. And the funny part is Dr. Stoll with me, he didn't know that I was on the edge, did he? He didn't know that earlier that day I had had a conversation with God. God, if you don't show up, I'm done. And I didn't know what that meant. And that was a really big deal for me because I was in Bible school. I was married to a woman who loved God. And what it, what that, the ramifications of that decision for me meant I was going to stop and drop out of Bible school and try to figure out how to provide and have this really hard conversation with my wife and go, I don't know if you even still want to be with me because I don't believe in God anymore. So that's how serious the conversation was with me and God. But Dr. Stoll didn't know that. He just simply was available to the moment. Even with the demands, even with the piles, and even with the stacks, to be able to choose with the pressures all around him what was best in the face of more, more, more. And we're in a season of more, aren't we? That's always pulling at it. So I think what the question may be then, how do you discern what's best?
How do you and I begin to actually say no to more stuff? No to the approval of people and the demands and pressures around us in a way that we can say yes to the very best in life. How do we begin to discern that? And I think there is this promise of God in his word that will unpack, at least for us that are believers who are followers of Jesus, that would help us discern this is how you begin to filter or process life and choose what's best. Here's the promise. And actually, if you got your Bibles, open it up to Luke chapter 12, 29 and 31. Jesus is talking to the disciples here. And he gives us this promise. Here's what's interesting about promises, by the way. And you'll notice it. Most of the promises in the Bible are always preceded with a command. Oftentimes, you and I miss out on the promises God has for us that he says, this is what I want to do for you because we aren't obeying what he called us to do. When we step into what he asks of us, he says, then I am going to do this for you. Here's the command. He's going to give us the command and then the promise at the end. First, he's going to tell us to stop something. He says, and do not set your heart on what you'll eat or drink. Do not worry about it. For the pagan world runs after all such things, and your father knows that you need them. The command here is don't set your heart on all the stuff that everyone says you need. Don't set your heart on all the things that you feel like you have to have. Don't set your heart on keeping up with the Joneses. Don't set your heart on having the right car, the right education, all these other things. Those aren't bad things, but just don't set your heart on them. And how do you know if your heart's set on them? Here's how he says, for the pagan world runs after them. See, the diagnostic question of figuring out what your heart is set on is what are you running after? What, what are you pursuing? What are you spending your energy and your time and your thoughts after? See, see your, your external pursuits reveal your internal priorities. Your external pursuits and how you go about it reveal your internal priorities. And the reality is, is most of us live with two sets of priorities, don't we? What we say And then what we do. We have the priorities of what we say, and oftentimes that is what the the area for us, what matters most in life, doesn't it? We would say, you know what? No, no, no. God matters most. My family matters most. But then we have the other standard of what we do. And however you want to wrestle with that. The reality is your external pursuits, what you spend your energy on, your time, will reveal your internal priorities. And so that's why Jesus says, don't set your heart on these things. But then he gives us a positive command. But seek his kingdom. Don't set your heart on all the stuff out there, the things that are drawing you away, the things that, that, that says, you know what, you got to do this, you got to do this, you got to look this way, you got to have these sort of things. Don't, don't get caught up in the game. 
but seek his kingdom. How do, how do you know it's his kingdom? How do you seek his kingdom? In fact, Luke 10 uh, says it this way. Jesus was being questioned by an expert of the law, asking what is the greatest command. And it says to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. And then to love your neighbor as yourself. You know what seeking his kingdom is? is saying first vertically with God, God, I love you with all that I am. All of my energy is towards you, and that is expressed horizontally to others. It is never just a vertical thing. His kingdom reality will never just stay as a vertical reality of, oh my, I have this God time. And if it just stays right here, you are not loving him with all your heart and with all your soul, with all your mind and strength, because he says it will pour out of you to everyone and loving your neighbor as yourself. That is the kingdom reality and that is the invitation for you and I when he says, but seek his kingdom. And he says, seek him, put all your affection, all your attention, all that you have and say, God, I want you to have it all. See, here's what we do. This is what we do. We go, God, we have our life. We have our life. This is my life, and I just want to add a little bit of you to it. Right? That, that's what we like to do. That's what we want to do with God. Is God, you, you, I don't want you to mess up my life. I, I have it planned out, and I have everything figured out. I just want to add a little bit of it, of you to my life. And God says, that won't work. If you want to experience my promises in your life, that will not work. And what you'll find is that if you don't do that, You'll be, end up doing too much and enjoying so little. He says, you take all of you and say, God, my affection, my attention is you. My priority is you. And then what does he say? But seek his kingdom. And these things will be given to you as well. He says, if you get your priorities correct, I will take care of you. If you get your priorities correct, I will provide for you. It's not that God wants to withhold good things from you. He's saying that the good things can really withhold him from you. The best thing at the end of the day, the best thing, And I promise you, because I've gone through the wrestling, is simply, simply, Jesus. Where we stop playing games with God and stop going through the motions and stop pursuing more and say, you know what, I I long to be generous with my time. And so I'm going to seek you. See, there's this principle of life. The principle is just that this simple. My pursuit of more will inevitably cause you to miss out on what's best. And you and I have been caught up in that. We get that. But, but, but then there's this promise from God that says, if you stop chasing all of the more 
and you begin to set your heart on me, I will provide for you. In fact, he says, I'll give you the desires of your heart. So how do we do it? How do we actually begin to put this into motion so that you and I begin to experience the promises of God, to begin to experience his presence, his power, begin to experience the God who provides well, I think there's a, a, a critical practice for us. That this practice, if you begin to do, you'll, you'll begin to create margin in your life and experience what's best. You'll create margin in your life for the things that matter most. And the practice is simply this. It comes from our passage. In fact, Jesus said it, this same story and this parable and this principle and this promise in Matthew as well. But the practice is this. Put first things first. It's just, it's just that simple. Put first things first. And by the way, the order matters. Put first things first. The order matters. Listen to how Matthew said the same thing. He says, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. He's going to take care of your needs. He's going to meet you where you're at. He's going to begin to meet the deep desires of your soul. He says, when you seek me, I long to provide for you in ways that would blow you away. But you've never really given it all to me. And you've never really given me your first and your best. Seek me. But seek first his kingdom. See, the practice of putting first things first. And the order matters. And here's, here's the order. God, spouse, family, work. For, for singles, let's just say God, family, close friends, work. The, see, the order matters, and we get into trouble when we get the order mixed up, don't we? See, disorder always breeds dysfunction. Look at it. When, when you get the order out of whack, it will pr- bring dysfunction into your relationships, If you put your spouse above God, it will bring dysfunction. If you put your kids above your spouse, it will bring dysfunction. See, a lot of times we say, men, don't we, that that our families are a high priority, but at the end of the day, what gets most of our attention and affection is work. And wives, most of you would say, no, my kids are of highest priority, but maybe what gets most of the attention and affection is a clean house, or having everything look just right as you're seeking others' approval. See, I understand, first and foremost, that I am a Christian first. My relationship with God is first and foremost, and then I am a husband next. That order, that is important, that at first priority is my God, next priority is my wife, and then my kids I am a dad next, and then a pastor. So you want to begin to put this into practice of putting first things first. Get the order right. Begin to organize and order your life right. See, I, I, I love to pack. 
I don't, I don't know if that's weird to you or not, but I love to pack. I love to pack cars especially. In fact, we, you know, have a big 17-foot box truck that we load everything in. And when we first started it, I mean, I was anal of making sure everything was packed just right. And it, it was actually fun for me. It wasn't fun for Jay, but it was fun for me. I love like packing on vacations and, you know, getting all this stuff out there and, and having someone say, that will never fit. I go, yes, it will. Because <laughs> I, I know it can. It's gotten to the point because I, I, I think packing might be one of my spiritual gifts. Uh, it, it's gotten to the point that we were on a vacation and my wife is at a garage sale. And if you don't know my wife, she finds the most amazing things for dirt cheap. She found this desk that is the coolest desk ever for $30, you know. And we're on vacation, though. We're like 300 miles from home. Well, she go ha- goes ahead and buys it. <laughs> and she comes home with this desk er, to where we're staying. She's like, I got this desk. And I'm thinking, this is the first time I've ever thought, I don't know how we're going to fit it all. But I'll tell you, man, it was so fun to sit there and, you know, kind of Tetris the whole thing and figure it out. Yeah, you know, the, it, packing. I mean, for those of us guys or gals that like to pack, man, that's, that's like an adrenaline rush right there. <laughs> I made it all fit, by the way. There's a principle of packing. And those of you that aren't good packers, uh, you, you can just jot this down. This is incredibly profound. <laughs> you put the biggest thing in first. That's it. That's, that's the principle of packing. That, 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 that's the secret right there. You just put the biggest item, the most important item, in first. And then you take all the little items and you begin to pack around that. See, what happens is if you put the little items in first, then the big item won't fit at all. But what's amazing, and for some it's kind of counterintuitive, you take the big item, the big suitcase, which is sadly mine, um, and you put it in then you can begin to fit everything else around it. See, what the invitation of God is, he's saying, you know what, if you begin to put me first, everything else will fit. In fact, in fact, the challenge is, would you trust him with your time enough and say, God, I'll give you the first and best of who I am and all that I am and see if he will not give you more time? I mean, I dare you. Trust God with your time in such a way that you say, God, you are my first priority. You have my attention. You have my affection. And see if God will not stand upon his promise and provide and show up. See, most of us have never experienced the promises of God because we've never been obedient to his commands. See, there's this principle. My pursuit of more will inevitably cause me to miss out on what's best. And then there's this promise of God in the midst of this principle that if you seek me, I will provide for you the practice for you and I. The practice is simple. Doesn't mean it's easy, but it is simple. Would you put first things first in the right order? In the right order. 
I, I just think back to that time with Dr. Stoll. Amazed that he would take the time for a college kid like me. He had no idea how shaping that one conversation was going to be. And yet, he understood the principle and he understood the promise and he began to put people above projects and he said yes to being present and generous with this time. Not only do you get to engage in what matters most, but then you get to make a difference in people's lives. You and I, you and I, get to do the same thing, and yet we won't know the significance of what that single conversation, that stopping with your kids, that, that moment when you feel like it's a distraction or disruption to your day, when you'd say yes to the best. And you don't know the power of that moment and what God might want to do in someone else's life. May we become a people who are generous. The only way to do that is to begin to say, God, you have it all. My affection, my attention, my time. And I dare you. I dare you. Start this week and see if God will not just show up powerfully in your life. I want to give you a moment just to respond. Just to allow, we're just going to have a season of worship. And I just want to give you a moment where where you just and Jesus can kind of have that honest heart talk because you might, you might be where I was at where you just need to just get honest with God and go, God, here is where I'm at. And I desperately need you to show up. And maybe some of you simply need to have the honest conversation of God. I say this, but I've been doing this, and I want those two to line up. And there might be some hard decisions moving forward. But I'm going to test and see that you are the God who keeps his promises, who has his very best. Let me pray for you and we'll worship. God, we celebrate this Advent season, Emmanuel, God with us. that you were present here and you're present with us and you're actually present here now in this room. And so we invite you to have your way in us, to do the work necessary. We ask that you would be as gentle as you can be but as thorough as you need to be, that you would make us a people who are generous, who say yes to the very best of life. You'd make us a people who stop rushing and hurrying 
You would make us a people who are present and engaging in the things that matter most and the people that matter most. In Jesus' name.